Welcome to the Sons of Mjolnir podcast. The Sons of... What? This isn't your Sons of Macaroni, yeah! The Sons of Mjol... Mjolnir? This is Sons of Mjolnir, yeah, yeah, yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sons of Mjolnir. As always, I am one of your hosts, Fat Thor. I'm Cap. And today we are joined by a very, very special guest, the other half of the hive mind. We had Jackson Lansing on earlier. Now we have the other half of the writing duo, Colin Kelly, and they're going to be writing books such as Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Trek. I mean, the list goes on and on. What a, Sentinel of Liberty just came to an end. Batman Beyond, Neo Year, Neo Gothic. What, what do these guys not write? Colin Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We couldn't be more excited to have you. Fat Thor, Cap, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, it's so good to know that Jackson was here, kind of paving the way for my <laughs> arrival. But now, uh, now, now, I myself am here, and I'm so yeah. glad to chat with you guys today. Awesome, yeah, he opened the stage for you. Basically, our interview with Jackson was just an intro for this one, so... <laughs> We'll yeah, keep going and then that's definitely how we work. Yeah. Hell yeah. So like I said, we're just super lucky and fortunate to have the opportunity to nerd out with you guys. So we'll get it going. And I mean, at the end, we'll decide, you know, who, which one of you guys we like better and we'll vote on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's always, that's always a joke people make. And that like, and we laugh, but in the, honestly, it like cuts such to the quick of our hearts. Like, <laughs> we hate that joke because we don't want anyone to try and choose which one of us uh, they like more. Well, um, I'm I'm sorry I made it then. In all yeah, honesty, you it on we, a real bad foot, man. Yeah, Jesus. But honest, <laughs> in all honesty, we could never pick. We could never pick. But let's kind of get in, for those in podcast land. I am smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all of our listeners out here, Colin is just all smiles all around. <laughs> but let's kind of get into it. So, like I said, we did have Jackson on, and we got to talk about a lot of stuff, and we really got into the nitty gritty about some stuff. But surprisingly, with two with two episodes, we didn't even get to cover everything. Because like I said, you guys are just everywhere these days and are just absolutely on fire. But before we get into that, take a step back a little bit and go to the early days of Colin Kelly, your kind of comic origin story. So we've been doing a little research on you guys, kind of learning what we can. And I saw that you talked about how one of your first comics you actually started picking up was Captain America. And you started getting them through the mail from your uh, uh, school book fair, I think you said. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and uh, some of those early issues, you said it was uh, Cap fighting in an Iron Man suit. I think specifically it was Cap 430 and 4th, like that era was when yep. you kind of really started getting into it. Mm -hmm. So, and you also mentioned... Uh, uh, picking up books at the library and how that was very important to you and how you kind of got into the nightfall series through that so i wanted to ask uh we are very big proponents of like libraries and pub and local comic shops and all that stuff so kind of wanted to ask what was your experience like discovering all those books in your library and also going back to you were talking about getting comics in the mail and a lot of times they'd be like rolled up do you remember like a specific one that was just like absolutely torn like you were like i can't even read this this is ridiculous um no so i never got anything destroyed in the mail um but also i was it was my first run of comics so i didn't really understand that like maybe comics shouldn't be folded in half <laughs> yeah. um which i think actually gave me a kind of a unique experience with them in that they're 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 precious stories but they're not precious items 
right? Like the value of a floppy is that you can fold it up, toss it around, give it to a friend, hand it around. Like it became a, a transactional piece of like currency within a social circle, right? So it was like, I loved those, having those floppies um, and having them folded up and ruined. Uh, it was all, it was uh, Grunewald's um, run right after Cap Wolf. Ironically, okay. I saw like right after Cap Wolf, considering Cap Wolf is one of the just, I absolutely love that stupid wolf man. Um, <laughs> but no, and then the library, right? I mean, all of us, not all of us, but I, every kid should get the opportunity to walk into a library and see it as like what it's supposed to be, which is a kind of a, a palace of storytelling, mm-hmm. right? It's a pal, it's a gateway. It's a, it's a, there's a, you know, it's this kind of magical place where you can go and you can find any kind of story you want. And I was lucky enough to stumble into the graphic novel section and the buyer for our local library was a huge, uh, a big image fan and a lot of big DC fan, not a lot of Marvel stuff, but mm-hmm. a deep catalog of DC work and then stuff like uh, Mage and Randall uh, and a lot of kind of like stuff that maybe you wouldn't be exposed to normally uh, as a young person. So yeah, I cracked open that library and I just started burrowing my way through that entire graphic novel section. Um, so on the one hand, I treated floppies really disposably as um, kind of cultural currency, but the li- I mean, a library book, no, that's treasure. Like you treat <laughs> the library book like it's a precious object. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of like the, there was a kind of a totemic element to comics for me growing up. Um, they were much more than just the stories. The actual objects of them had a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome to hear. And do you remember, so like I said, we you mentioned Cap, you mentioned Batman a lot. Do you remember, was it one of those? Or do you remember, was there a specific comic in those early years that you were like, okay, like comics are legit. Like, wow, I this mean, is... Tale as old as time, my guys. Uh, Watchmen. Classic, right? oh, yeah. Very good show. Yeah. And Watchmen hits like you're 14, right? Like you've been consuming stuff. You're like a precocious reader who's really ahead of the curve mm-hmm. and you're just gobbling up everything. And you read Lord of the Rings when you're like 11. Uh, and so you think you're real hot shit. And then you hit Watchmen at like right that age. And you're like, oh shit. I not only realize how much I need to learn like as a storyteller, but also any preconceived notion that you might have that like oh yeah comics are these are just kind of the fun fluffy stuff it's like suddenly every adult who's like comics are just for kids you want to grab watchmen and start slapping them with it and be like (laughs) fuck you this is literature yeah right so yeah watchmen uh, the dual the dual hit of watchmen and sandman at Mm -hmm. that sweet spot uh really just turned the whole game over for me yeah, definitely. I think it turned the game, like you were saying, for a lot of people. And really, those were two massive books that kind of, I think, shifted the public opinion on these funny books and showed yeah. like there's actual storytelling being done in these. So that's, I mean, like you said, tale as old as time. Everyone, I feel like, has that experience with those books. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I didn't actually start reading Watchmen. I think it was like five years ago whenever I first read it blew my fucking mind (laughs) yeah and it's great because it it does that no matter how old you are or how Mm. many comics you've read like you will always have that moment when you hit watchmen and you're like wow lived up to the hype holy shit yeah it really is as good as people say it is (laughs) is. Um, so so then 
fast forward a little bit, you're, you know, delving into your comic journey, and then you find yourself at USC, and you meet uh, another fellow by the name of Jackson Lansing through a mutual friend of you guys. And uh, so really, everything started when you guys went on this road trip to Lala, and you guys wrote your first script in the car. And, you know, I also I want to mention too. you have mentioned that at first, you weren't the biggest fan of Jackson, and you kind of had a little not rivalry, but kind of butted heads a little bit. You talked about what really kind of came around was you guys were in a writing class together and you would read his scripts of, uh, I think, as you put it, like it was just two people talking to each other, but you were like engrossed with how well Jackson was able to do that. And on the flip side, Jackson talked about how you were really good at like very bombastic storytelling and like very like big action scenes and stuff like that. So do you find that that's still kind of your guys's dynamic today or has that kind of shifted through the years? Oh, I love that question. Um, let me let me just put the record straight on the initial kind of launching point then. Then I want to like circle back because that is a great question. Yeah, um, yeah. But the way it actually broke down was that third friend of ours. I think it's mentioned a lot in interviews because he is our he's like our he's our third brother right or second brother right <laughs> like he's a, a little unicycle and he's the founder he's, of the hive mind he's our yeah. yeah exactly he's the founder of the hive mind in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um he was like the guy who kind of made us kiss uh <laughs> but he was my best friend who I lived with then i left for a semester abroad and when i came back jackson had taken my room like now jackson oh so not only did he take your living. friend he took your room he too. i didn't hear took this my place in oh okay <laughs> so I was like who who this who this screw this guy um because also you know like you don't want to get replaced by like a bigger better model uh, <laughs> like I'm, no, no one's bigger and better than colin kelly but at the same time jack's tall and handsome and swarthy and like really clever and charming and i'm like and i as previously mentioned i'm kind of a gremlin uh especially <laughs> that point in my life so i was like how dare i be replaced um, but yes, that's that that was long buried. Um, we 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 clashed for a long time privately. I think he always liked me. Um, but I'm an ass. <laughs> I think uh, I saw too that you said that you wrote him as a villain in one of your screenplay. Do you remember what that role was? Was it just like a classic villain or <laughs> um <laughs> Dracula? Uh, it was a crazy no, it was a um God, I'm processing now. It actually is kind of wild. Talk about like when you're 21, 22, 20, I guess. Like you're kind of, this was a, God. I had a class that meant we, we, settle down, Colin. (laughs) I had a class where the entire point was to write as much as possible. It's like, oh, you think you can't write 10 pages in a week? Cool, you write 10 pages in a week. Then you collapse that to five and you write another 10 pages. Then collapse that to 10, then write... You every every week we were basically doubling how many pages we wrote and then editing down and then doubling and then editing down. So it created these absolutely insane scripts. Uh, I wrote one that was all it was kind of like a it was a coming of age sex comedy set all in a Halloween party. And predictably, Jack was the cool, clever, like dude who was rolling around being like liking phonogram and like knowing all the good music. Right. He was like that worse for he was that guy. Mm -hmm. He was that kind of guy who was getting all the girls and who everyone uh, thought was super cool. Um, Oh, So when I read that, I was thinking you made him like a like 
Cap was saying like Dracula or something like a no no he wasn't like, like a mustache <laughs> no he was the ultimate villain uh the guy you are uh the guy who wants to steal your girl the Chad the Jack I know yeah. <laughs> um but as for kind of how that's evolved into our storytelling um we at this point no we we both excel at either side and all sides like mm. we've been training each other as well as just by the nature of what we do um sometimes when we do want to let's say if we're going to our our junk food right like maybe it's a hard week maybe we got a lot to do and we're like man do you want to kind of do your do us do we want to do ourselves a favor uh and just kind of go with the flow and if we do do that then in those cases yeah i tend to lean toward the action scenes mm. and uh or that kind of the action or heavy side of things. And Jack tends to kind of lens in on the more um, kind of quieter moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you only, if you only, you know, if you only write dessert, like eventually you will got to get your vegetables, right? If you're yeah. only eating steak, like sometimes yeah. you can get a soup. So <laughs> at this point, and we write, as you pointed out, we write so much at the moment that like, I, you, you got to stay on your toes. Um mm-hmm it becomes too easy to fall into your own um, into your own patterns. Uh, and as soon as you start to get hidebound in what you do, then you start to get stale and stale is death. And then, so, so like we were talking about, you guys are at USC, you guys are friends, you guys become friends after this yeah, little head yep. button. And mm-hmm. on that road trip, you guys write your first script. And that was, I think, uh, Samurai's fighting vampires came about yep. talking about Wolverine. But yep. my question from that time is I so that there's a big jump between oh we are we are good at this and oh we can do this for a living so when you guys were you guys came up with this script you guys were like wow you know we work very well together what was the point where you guys were like wow like we could do this for a living we could write comic books because I also know you guys were film students so obviously film was kind of in your guys's mind at first it seems like so where did the transition to comic books come in and like I said did you guys have a kind of aha moment like that like wow we could get paid to do this wow um another great question uh, I feel like if we do another uh, if we do a keynote uh, a keynote or a, a spotlight panel we got to bring you in as our host hey let's do it i'm available <laughs> um so yeah our journey uh coming out of school our journey was 100 hollywood mm-hmm. um we had uh basically we had connections uh within the uh thanks to our schooling we had met some people who were over in the industry uh, uh agency side so basically coming back with the script where we were like well I guess we're a writing team now. Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oops. A writing team, at least on this project. Let's see what how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that project got picked up uh, almost immediately by Fox. Um, it was attached with um, uh, John Moore, who uh, did uh, Black Hawk Down oh, and a couple of movies. Okay. Like um, He's kind of legit. Uh, and it then spent a year getting rewritten to high hell. Um, just absolutely taken apart. And through that process, we realized like, oh, if we want to survive, if we want to do this, um, and we did, we do. We love mm-hmm. Hollywood. We love film. We love TV. Um, it's what we'd come to school for. It's what our focus is, was. But if we wanted to do this, you need to play for the long game um, because that was us kind of being an overnight success, which was awesome. 
but also you're 21 and you don't know shit right so it's like that process basically we spent most of our 20s uh navigating the hollywood landscape and getting really good at it but also realizing that the only way to achieve success is by playing the long game so we have day jobs um uh we you know i've worked at a number of i have lots of jobs jack pretty much only worked in post-production um eventually kind of becoming the effectively the creative lead of his own ad agency i bipped all over the place uh, but primarily worked in higher education um i worked at a bunch of schools uh then i worked at usc back at my alma mater uh for quite a while mm -hmm. so we're hustling and we're selling things and we're making some money here and there but like not nearly enough to live on mm -hmm. like you know hollywood is 90 percent of the work is invisible and it's free uh so we have a whole shelf of screenplays that have been attached to people that you know um that with directors who fucking rip uh and and attached to properties that you fucking love and that you that fucking rip some that are incredible and would blow your fucking mind but did they happen did they even pay us often like or even or pay us well like nope nope and nope so that's where we kind of got weaponized it didn't stop us but we um basically hit a point where we wrote a feature uh that our management and our agency just didn't get uh they also repped max landis um who is kind of faded into the uh shadows as he should have but like also very popular very pop very comic book central so like we were kind of ugly stepchildren and they didn't really know what to do with us so we fired our agency team uh and right around that same time uh during all of this jack had put together his first his first comic with our third member the guy david freak david. show am i correct oh, maybe yeah yeah it's, if real heads want to find a copy of Freak Show, uh, I I think I might be the only person left who has a trade dress of Freak Show. Oh, I'm I'm about to go on the hunt when we hunt get off of here. Let's it's go. Good. It's fucking good. Yeah. Um, but that's what kind of led us uh, because of that. Jack eventually got the call from Tay uh, Tay Taylor over at Arkea. Do you want to do this book called Hacktivist uh, with Alyssa Milano? Uh, Dave passed, but Jack didn't, and said, "Can I bring on my Colin?" And then we get started on that journey. Um, that it's another six years from there to the start of last year start of this year when we quit our day jobs uh, and we also just recently celebrated our 15 year anniversary so that trip to Lollapalooza was 15 years ago and it was just this year that we quit our day jobs that's crazy. Uh, so, that must have been a good ass feeling. Oh, it felt incredible. <laughs> 15, Fifteen years. It's been what I've wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. and I finally got the chance to put down that and just do what I love full time. So you're asking, like, oh, when did you know that you could do this full time? It's like, well, in my heart, I've known it for fifteen fucking years, mm -hmm. right? Like in my heart, I've known this was always going to be the target and always the dream. And I firmly believe that you fucking work hard enough on something on a long enough timeline, you will find success. Um, but it's 15 years, baby. And yeah. I ain't rich. I mean, like <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't blowing the walls off anything. This was a lateral move. I'm mm -hmm. not making more money doing this than I was in my previous job, but eventually, right. You got to like, you can like either, you, you can either have like, I like, yeah, you know, right. Like you can do mm -hmm. the thing for money or you can do the thing for passion. And mm -hmm. finally it made sense for us to do it for passion. 
was like, now you're finally at kind of an equilibrium with that. And like you were mentioning too, I think it applies to everything. It's it's the long game. Sometimes you got to play the long game. And I just think that's so interesting to hear. And I love how you talk about it. And like, I, cause I think a lot of people from the outside looking in, they just see, Oh, these guys wrote Kang the Conqueror. These guys wrote Captain America. Like they've been, you know, doing this forever. And I think it's just very refreshing to hear the reality of, I think that's true for not only you guys, but a lot of comic book writers that, you know, it's a very long road. And, you know, if you're not putting in the work and it's not going to just, oh, I, you know, I wrote a good comic and now I can be rich and, you know, live off that for the rest of my life. So I think that's just really interesting to hear. That kind of reminds me of something where let's start getting into some of your guys' work and you guys are talking, you're talking a lot about Hollywood and your guys' experience with that and, you know, coming up in the comic book game. I want to really quickly mention Clayface because I really loved Clayface. I thought Clayface has always been one of my favorite Batman villains, someone I think never really gets the spotlight he deserves. And I feel like a lot of what Clayface has to do and what it's saying is kind of what you're talking about with the Hollywood stuff. And did you guys were some of that stuff in Clayface kind of pulled from personal experience? I mean, obviously not the transforming into a mud monster, but like the whole, uh, not necessarily dealing with rejection, but him, you know, trying to, you know, figure like, oh, I have a vision and all this stuff. Is that kind of personal for you guys? Thor, let me stop you right there. It is all drawn directly from experiences almost everything that is said in the like the the kind of the diner or the the restaurant two pager Mm -hmm. that's all things that have been said directly to our faces um we 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 were we have we were not waiters at the chateau marmont but our friend uh we have a friend dylan devale who is that was his job he was a waiter to the stars at the chateau Mm -hmm. um like everything that all the hate and all the pain and all the toxicity that they are all going through is the bread and butter of what Hollywood works off of. And that pain, um, the reason we love that story, and it honestly, I think it's the best thing we've ever written. Um, I, it's my mo- That's most- That's high praise. It's, I, I love it. I think it is so good. It is ama- it amazing. It hurts. Mm-hmm. Right, and that was Dave Wilgos, uh, who edited that entire series, he was our staunch champion at DC. He, We love him. He's our other brother. Uh, and he kept us going when no one else would hire us uh so he calls us up and he's like i'm doing this one bad day did jack already tell you this story no we didn't get to talk about clayface so this is fresh territory um yeah dave calls us and says hey guys uh let me tell you about this initiative i'm doing it's called one bad day it's being led by uh you know tom king and i've got you know like this entire cavalcade of amazing creators and we're like wow dave congratulations that sounds so cool why are you calling us and he's like i want you guys to be part of it and we're like that's dumb you have all of these incredible talents why us and he's like i love you guys and you deserve to be here shut up and we're like oh okay um for like for what though and he's like says for clayface and we say dave we love you but like honestly like i love clayface i'm a big mud guy i like the stuff wet i like goopy shit i love monsters like give me that goo um, <laughs> but at the same time the animated series really clayface's like introduction in the animated series is the perfect clayface story mm-hmm. right like they kind of yeah. got it one and done yeah. um uh james did amazing i love clayface's hero turn in james's detective run like they've been we've had some good clayface content and we weren't sure what else needed to be said 
uh, so why us, Dave? And it's like, oh, well, you got to take him to Hollywood. And we were like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Mm. Right. What you know. Right. Yeah. And the cool thing about that run is the the best villains. Well, not the best villains, but many of the greatest villains could be heroes. Right. Mm. And that's the point, I think, of One Bad Day, especially this Clayface story is like he gets so fucking close. Right. Like, and that's the lesson of Hollywood is that if you go alone, you will be destroyed. You mm -hmm. will destroy yourself. But the only way you survive is community. Right. And that once again, that's writing what we know. Right. The only reason Jack and I survived is because we have each other. The only reason we can have each other is because we both have our wives. The only reason mm -hmm. that foursome eh, works is because we have a community. Right. Like you need your people to lift you up. And Clayface makes that wrong choice. Mm -hmm. Stands for himself rather than standing for his friends. And in so doing, poisons himself from where he could be and lets that toxicity kind of take over his world. Um, like, I firmly believe that if a, if a villain could learn the lesson, then they don't need to be a villain. Then they can make the hero mm -hmm. turn. They can find the closure they need. But they can't fucking learn the lesson, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you can't grow, that's the greatest villainy of all. Mm-hmm inability to see yourself for what you're supposed to be and who you can be so wow so that's... yeah pour a lot of pain into that book man oh uh, yeah and you can it. feel it i mean that last page i just i so i read it when it first came out and this is kind of not embarrassing but just funny to think about now but it was one of those things like everyone was raving about clayface and i was like i like clayface so i was like yeah i'll pick that up and then i found out you guys wrote it and i was like oh shit like i know i'm gonna love this now but and then I reread it in preparation for this interview. And man, that last page is just like, ooh, it hurts my heart. It's just so heavy and deep. And it kind of goes back to something that Jackson was talking about with us. And he was saying, when you guys are writing a character and or, you know, collection of characters, you guys are really focusing on the head and the heart of that character. And I think that with Clayface, it is a very great example of that concept. And that's also something that we've talked about plenty of times with Jackson and on other episodes is something we really love about your guys's work is that it feels like you guys understand these characters at like a very core level. And not only that, but you've done your homework. And again, I think that Clayface is just a very great example of both of those concepts because you just knit like Clayface, like I said, is kind of a lesser known villain, you could say, like compared to like Joker and Penguin and stuff like that. So the way that you were able to dissect that character the way that you did and bring all of that heart and kind of emotion to him was just a masterclass. It was just so good. I loved it. Look, normally I I like shrinking. Oh no, thank you. But, no, <laughs> but like, yeah, dude. Yeah. Clayface fucking rips. Clayface fucking rips. I think the best thing about a Batman villain is it has to reflect the psyche, this the psyche of the character, right? Batman's villains are all reflections of his own broken psychosis, mm -hmm. right? They're all explorations of mental illness in a way that themes them all into um kind of the Batman mindset. But Clayface is just big mud man. Right? That's not what the fuck does that mean to Batman? <laughs> yeah. No, Clayface, just like Bruce Wayne, does not know what face is his. Mm. Right? Like he has the same kind of low self-esteem that in a lot of ways, like Bruce has from never having parents to love him. Right. Yeah. Like that low self-esteem is what drives him and drives all of Hollywood. So anyway, yeah. 
and, and but like oh yeah we're good thank you um but for monaco's art i mean like yeah what Ooh. what like that's, that's would... flash page at the end with him coming oh, off the oh. roof <laughs> i i would put him toe to toe with like mitch gerard's i i think he is one of the best artists that dc has right now and mm -hmm. i do not know if they're using him correctly uh we 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 He's on our forever list at this point. Any project we have, we're like, free? Yeah, yeah. hey, you, you free, man? <laughs> well, we want to talk about more DC stuff because you guys are knock, knocking it out of the park everywhere, but you guys are really knocking it out with DC lately. But before we get to that, I want to quickly talk about uh, Captain America. So again, when we had Jackson on, we went deep into Sentinel Liberty, all the fun nitty gritty stuff. But it was, I think, two days before the final issue came out. So mm -hmm. now that the final issue is out, it's out to the world. We want to talk about it just a little bit. And I know Cap has a couple things he wants to say. But I guess my first question is just, how does it feel for it to be out in the world now? For the, the your kind of period to this long sentence, for people to be experiencing it, how does that feel? Uh, I mean, wicked bittersweet, mm -hmm. right? Like, wicked bittersweet. Um, the issue turned out fucking beautifully. Uh all credit to Alana Smith for getting us the oversized finale and like really making sure that we had the space to um, blow it out. Like, I'm so glad we were able to make it work with Carmen's schedule. The book just would not have felt right if she wasn't able there to able to, to close it out. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I'm really proud of the work we did. Um, you know, like, I think, I think we all could have, it. we all, it could have run for a thousand issues, maybe who knows. Right. So it's like, closing it as we did um like this was always the intention of the ending uh mm -hmm. and i'm really proud of how we were able to execute it i think it turned out really nice uh I think and so I, too i think we were able to close it out in a way that it said something we don't want to break the toys and then walk away mm -hmm. right? we've gotten that advice before actually for more experienced creators who are like you know what at the end of your story fuck it like break the toys give the audience a wow and then walk away and it's the next guy's problem mm. it's like oh yeah i mean that's kind of comics right like i get yeah. that yeah but this is a storytelling maybe it comes because some comes from like we come from the gaming space like tabletop rpgs are a huge part of our experiences and our lives uh and like you gotta care for your audience right we are in a relationship and if we're going to break your heart, like we need to take care of you afterwards, because otherwise you're going to leave feeling like we hurt you. And we do want your fucking tears. <laughs> we have never, you will never lie about the fact that our goal is nothing short of your emotions. We want those, we, we want your heart to fill. Uh, and we want to punch you then in the filled heart. But then we want to take care of you. So <laughs> I'm really fucking thrilled that we got the chance, especially with the 750 to kind of the point here was to break Bucky and Cap up, test their friendship to the limit, and then still be able to bring them back together and, and prove the bond that they have as brothers. So everything else, like who the fuck cares? Mm. We got to tell that story, and that's the story that really mattered to us. And uh we're thrilled by how it turned out. Hell yeah. I mean, I think you guys absolutely nailed it. You said, you know, a thousand more issues. I would have bought them. I would have been right there for I would have bought them. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm going to hand it off to Cap because he's obviously our Cap expert here, and I know that he really loved your guys' final as well. 100%. See, right, so um, issue, what, four or five, was it, whenever Bucky shot Steve through the shoulder? 
whenever he killed Revolution. Yeah, six. Six, bingo. Um, obviously, he's mirrored that in the final issue there with Steve telling Bucky he trusts him and it's his choice if he wants to kill Pyre. Did you have that plan from the start or was that more towards the end where you thought of that? We... That great, great question. Um, we always knew that was going to be the beat. Like we always knew that was going to be the beat, right? It's just about it's about mirroring, right? You got to you set it up, you got to pay it off, and it's comics is visual, so we always knew that was going to land somewhere. Did we know it was going to be the power? No. Did we know that was going to be the setting for it? Absolutely not. Um, but as that fan, final story kind of came together and the pieces fell into play, it was like once we saw got to that moment, it was like that. That's it. That's and the power kind of had positioned himself as the most arch of the of the outer circle. So if there was gonna someone who was really gonna get that the justice hammer, uh, we knew it was gonna be him. Absolutely, and then That's that fair. that kind of reminds me too something that me and Cap were discussing uh, before we hopped on here, and a question. Hopefully, maybe you can shed some light on. So, like Cap said, in issue six, we have Bucky shoot the the revolution. But that was the revolution. So the revolutions move. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Bucky, well, that was five. Five is Bucky oh, shoots okay. the revolution. Six is Bucky releases Cap and he falls. But so my question is so Bucky shooting the original revolution, that was the revolution's move, was for Bucky to shoot him and for Bucky to take over. So yeah. we were talking about it. Does that mean technically the original revolution won the century game? Because while it was Bucky that ultimately took them down, it was his move that put Bucky in that position. So w could you say that, like I said, the original revolution is the winner of the century game, technically? I think revolution is always the winner. Oh. Oops, our politics. Oh, look at that. Ooh, spicy. I love it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, and that was the entire point. Mm -hmm. Like, this is how the revolution wins the game. You cannot, you cannot go toe to toe with wealth and money, with with money and power. You mm -hmm. just fucking can't do it. They're too powerful. They create a monolithic because they are two sides of the same coin. They will always side with each other, and no one else can stand against it because they they are they have too much gravity. So the only way you can win is by undercutting them at the core and by revealing how fucked they are and how selfish and getting between the two of them, right? Like. None of us can win if Musk and Bezos are on the same sides, mm -hmm. right? But when when fucking Musk, Musk and Bezos go at it, when Zuckerberg, when fucking Zuckerberg and and, and Elon fight, literally, good, we all yeah. win. I say we, we all win. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm. I'll have front row seats to that fight for sure. But yeah, like I said, we were talking about that. I was like, those those sneaky sneaky guys, man. I think that means that the original, like in this whole grand scope of this game, he ultimately did win. And while it was through the use of Bucky, you know, it's at the end, like you, I, you said it perfectly, man. That's why you're the writer here. But you know, revolution always wins. I love that. <laughs> Uh, I also wanted to bring up just something I personally really loved about the final issue. Uh, I really loved how you ended it with not only Cap going back home again, how you guys open the run, bringing him back to his apartment. He gets to hug that kid that he was teaching to fight. Like, oh, I love that so much. But uh, the one the one thing that I really, really loved and I was like, 
really kind of brought everything full circle for me was the end with him running through the neighborhood without the shield because that was my personal favorite panel from the first issue and we talked about this a couple times on the show to me that panel was like i texted cap when i read that i was like yeah i was like this is steve dude like this is steve rogers this it just exemplified everything that i think of when i think of steve rogers and so for you guys to bring that back at the end without the shield and with his monologue i just thought with, with his and then with his friends yes and with his friends not his superhero friends his nor james and sharon mm-hmm. running with him down the street like that uh, there's not really a question on top of this i just had to like i said uh, yeah. well, it is just so good i love how you brought it all back and like, oh it was beautiful man and and man honestly like you know, we talked about it. Like, I got my start. I was re- I was reading folded up Captain America m- m- comics in the fucking mail, right? And mm-hmm. like the thrill of getting first off, the thrill of getting to write, realizing like Steve runs through Manhattan with the shield facing the city. He runs the he laps the the island every day so that everyone can see it. And mm-hmm. I'm writing this, like me, this asshole. I get to write, <laughs> this. and I. I don't know if I actually wrote that, but I did write the last, like he runs through with everyone behind him. And like, yeah, dude, I got teary eyed. Yeah. Like it's crazy to get to be the person who, who puts that out into the world because it just feels so perfectly Steve. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It doesn't even felt like we were writing it. We were just like, this is something that always should have been here. And we were getting out of the way for it. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And I've even Colin or your Colin Jackson even kind of mentioned <laughs> that a little bit where he was talking about how when he was, uh, which maybe it was similar for you, but when he was writing Steve, it almost felt like it wasn't coming from him. It was like coming, like Steve was like talking like yep. to him. Was it kind of similar for you? Hey, yep. We yeah. didn't know. We didn't know when we started that we have little Steve Rogers in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't. Yeah. We just kind of like you relax that part of your brain and you know exactly what Steve Rogers would do here because Steve Rogers makes the best choice. He makes the most honorable, most empathetic, most like strong and fearless choice with kindness possible and takes zero shit. And like, you know what that is because that's the little voice. Anytime you do something shitty, there's that little voice in your head being like, you could have not been shitty. You just chose to be shitty. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck, I did, but uh, that's Steve Rogers. Yeah. Right? And you mm-hmm. just let him out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is not the case with every character. We have, there's a lot of characters. Writing Benjamin Cisco is a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> you've got Avery Brooks there. And mm-hmm. Avery Brooks is oh, a little wild man. So he takes that character in all sorts of directions. Um, but, but Steve, it's one of the things that like, oh, how you, how do you feel about the finale coming out? It's like, it's bittersweet because mm-hmm. I could write, I could write Steve forever. I fucking love writing Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will get another chance at him. We will come back around for sure. Uh, and uh, for what it's worth, a lot of the outer circle, a lot of the things, the plants that we put in place in uh, Bapu, 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 in Sentinel are going to be flooding into Thunderbolts. Hell so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, the cool thing about Marvel liking us is that we just get to continue playing. And we actually learned this from Donnie Cates. Like you put shit in your shit and then you can come back to your shit later mm-hmm. and come back to it later. Now it's like, oh, that thing they planted five years ago, 
are they geniuses? <laughs> like maybe it's like no, I just remembered what I wrote and then yeah. like, <laughs> back to it. But like yeah, it was we 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 we've gotten some. We've gotten some wild, we've gotten some really good advice from Donnie over the years, actually. Man, that's two Donnie Cates name drops in two episodes, man. We're, we are huge fans of Donnie over here, obviously. Oh, did, did being, Jack also, or did someone else? Well, he he talked about how uh, the kind of idea, or at least the blueprint idea of using the symbol came from a conversation he had with Donnie. And he was like, yeah, I just changed the Venom symbol. Like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. And so, like I said. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I was looking for the fuck it. It's like, oh, you can just do that yeah it's, exactly it, uh like yeah it's jack jack and donnie had a very colin jack relationship to kind of mm -hmm. start with because if you squint they look a lot alike oh wow i never yeah, really noticed I that, that <laughs> yeah uh and it used to be much more than donnie like bleached his hair pink and like got all fucking like you know real super stylish but if you squint they used to look a lot alike so they'd get constantly confused with each other that's hilarious uh, and it irritated them both so. <laughs> well hopefully one of these like i said we are huge kate's fans yeah. over here gorgon our other co-host who unfortunately couldn't be here he's our venom guy so hopefully one day we can have him on and we'll we'll joke with him about that but uh a few years for kind of obvious reasons but i do mm -hmm. wish yeah, well, we love Donnie. Donnie, if you're out there, we love you, man. Thank you for all your great work. But moving on, back to your guys' stuff. So, yeah, yeah, Cap. Cap, do you have anything else about uh, Sentinel Liberty before we move on real quick? I do, actually. I have one more question. Right, so you obviously still have power living, and you brought Doom in at the end of the finale. Mm -hmm. Do you have plans for Doom and Pyre in Thunderbolts, if you're allowed to touch on it? Uh, sorry, uh, Doom and, and what was the other character? Pyre. Um, we, oh gosh, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. Doom will be in Thunderbolts. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, like, I'm not going to say in any broad way. It is a, it is a story about global espionage uh and how the and how uh agents kind of how, how bucky barnes effectively secret agent bucky barnes mm -hmm. is able to um you know he's both the cia and the agent in the field he's kind of the one-man operation uh he's a one-man outer circle mm -hmm. and he will yeah. be facing and confronting and dealing with a lot of larger power players within the marvel u and i don't think it's a it's a i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that like doom will play into that in some way Wow, you heard nice. it here, folks. You heard it heard it here first, folks. Doom is going to be in Thunderbolts. We talked about Thunderbolts a little bit. I mean, we, just like everything you guys write, man, we just cannot be more excited. The concept you guys got going, and not only that, but knowing that since you guys, unfortunately, are leaving Cap, it's nice to know that this is going to kind of go through yeah, yeah it's like kind of a soft sequel if you will for cap and, and it's going to be very different uh mm -hmm. it's also a very different tone yeah um just so you know all cards on the table like this is our this is fast and the furious mm -hmm. right so I don't, yeah. I don't know if you're like if you like the adventures of dom toretto and his family family um, dude yeah. all day <laughs> uh, you guy in this house uh oh, yeah. So, yeah thunderbolts is our is our fast and the furious 
Hell yeah. I cannot wait for that. That's going to be so, so exciting. But talk. So everyone kind of out there knows us as the Marvel boys. We're very, we read mostly Marvel, but we have been reading more DC lately. All of us have actually. And you guys, again, have been knocking it out of the park at DC with Batman Neo Year, Batman Neo Gothic. Uh, you, you guys, uh, let's see, Green, Lan- not Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Grayson. Oh, if you want to list our DC credits, you're going to go a mile a minute. I would like, say, yeah, I could spend all day just listing all the stuff you're writing. But what I we talked about Neo-Gothic and Neo-Year, which, by the way, congratulations on getting your kaiju in issue two. I loved the killer croc uh, that you guys did for Neo-Gothic. You, so so awesome. But uh, I want to talk about Outsiders, because that's one of the things that we didn't get to talk about with Jackson, really. And so you guys, when describing this book, you said that it's going to be your first uh, in in continuity book that's originally yours. And then you guys go on to say about how this just kind this uh, story just kind of proves how fruitful of a place uh, that DC is right now for storytelling. So I was wondering if you kind of explain that a little bit and maybe like has DC not been as fruitful in the past or like, is there something specifically about this time in DC comics that is making it feel like more like that? Yeah. Um, let's see here. I'm gonna, I'm just like, I'm putting on my little dancing shoes to make Mm -hmm. sure I don't get into any trouble here. (laughs) Um, but I think, I mean, I I think at this point, we can kind of look back on the immediate history of DC and um, basically up through through 5G, there was a lot of editorial intervention from the top down, right? Like there Mm -hmm. had a, they had the big, like, you know, like um, there was just a lot of big choices that were coming from uh, from on high. Mm -hmm. And they had a specific kind specific. They had a specific kind of vision for what was going to be going on. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, some of those deciders uh, read an issue of Jack and I's from uh, we did a run of, on Tomb Raider over at Dark Horse. Okay. Uh, and the the issue they had read of that was not very good. And um, it was one of our very early works. Uh, mm-hmm. We could have done a lot better job. I am sure about it. But it was not. <laughs> particularly representative of our work uh but they read it and they did not like it and they decided that we were not very uh good investments mm-hmm. so we spent a lot of time working with dave wilgos as we kind of mentioned doing anthology series kind of surviving over there um and we weren't the only ones a lot of people were getting a lot of um editorial oversight towards the goal of creating a giant cogent line right? Mm-hmm. Everyone was high off the MCU, right? How do we make the MCU in comics? It's like, mm-hmm. we did already! God damn it! <laughs> like, stop it! Just like... <laughs> but with that kind of editorial changeover, um, a lot of the editors themselves who had been feeling that yoke, right? We don't want to ever paint editorial as this kind of monolith. Everyone's got a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as, uh, effectively, you know, Dan DiDio was fired, uh let go i don't know how the phrasing it is but like you no longer with the company mm-hmm. all these other editors finally got a little bit of a chance to flex their wings and start doing what they were passionate about um and that's fucking great because every editor no no one gets into editing comics because they think it's fine right no one gets into editing comics because they love money 
right? Mm-hmm. You get editing comics because you want to make bomb ass shit. Yeah. And like you are here because your instincts are good, right? You don't get to work at the top two without having proven yourself to be a tastemaker. Mm-hmm. Suddenly all the editors over there were able to kind of become the tastemakers that they'd been being squashed from being able to be. Uh, and they all came out of their fucking shells, mm-hmm. right? And now like black labels popping off, right? Um, this is a, primarily we've been working with Ben Abernathy, uh, who's now, you know, uh, editor in chief for them. Mm-hmm. Publisher, yeah. uh, he's, he's one of their high mucky mucks, but he was just, <laughs> he, he, he was one of the biggest editors of Wildstorm, right? And then they had him, he was just kind of doing talent relations. That's why we knew Ben, because he was the guy who would get us into the green room and help us get free sandwiches. Right, all the while he was kind of doing that, while also low key being the editor behind some of your very favorite Wildstorm books and a lot of other shit too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now in a position of leadership, and so when we were able to go to him and be like, "Hey, man, we've got the craziest idea possible. This is absolutely batshit. Um, what do you think?" He knows us, and knows himself well mm-hmm. enough to be like, "Fucking green light, boys." fucking go and it's not i think this will sell right like Mm -hmm. it's not Ooh, the market will be good for this it's that sounds fucking crazy i love it i know you guys can execute let's fucking go that's awesome that's so awesome that's all you want as a creator and yes like Mm -hmm. there are the 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 financial muckety mucks like there's the the ghost of our how the industry is actually doing is kind of haunting every room right now who knows Mm-hmm. how the health of the comics industry actually is fiduciarily mm-hmm. but at dc we've really been finding that and marvel too i don't want to like throw the other guys out no no, no yeah i mean marvel's Just, great marvel and all that but... complications mm-hmm. right dc very much like i i think dc is kind of like i think there's this weird energy over there because the honest to god truth is the entire budget of dc comics could like fit under in the pocket of warner brothers marketing Mm -hmm. like dc comics makes zero dollars just zero dollars and that's not its point it's not making money as a comics company now it's making money as part of a giant ecosystem yeah which is shitty also by the way is also super shitty Mm -hmm. but i also think it might be giving them a little bit of a freedom where they don't have to they're i don't know how under pressure they are to sell best-selling books Mm -hmm. batman batman is always going to be on the top right Mm -hmm. like they just slap Batman on things and it sells. Yeah. Uh, so I, it feels like there's just some kind of wide, weird, weird freedom. And in all mm-hmm. fairness, Outsiders for the longest time was kind of couched as a Batman book. That's mm-hmm. how it got the conversation started. Uh, even though Batman was never actually going to be in it. Yeah. And I mean, you guys have talked about talking about this book in particular, how most of the story is going to have to do with them, uh, Jace Fox and uh, the names escaping me right now. Luke Cassandra Fox. Kane. Oh, Luke Fox. Luke Fox and Kate Kane. Kate Kane. There we Jace go. Fox and Cassandra Kane are also totally other characters yeah. in the universe. But, uh, <laughs> But with them, you guys have talked about how it's important for you guys to bring them out of that shadow of Batman and kind of bring them in their own and they're kind of over the whole superhero thing. And you guys have also talked about how 
this is going to be your first book that's not anchored in violence or the first bat book that's not anchored in violence. So without getting into like specific story details, can you kind of Did talk about that? that? Boy, I like that line. That's yeah. good. <laughs> so can you kind of explain that a little bit? And like I said, we don't have to get into specifics of the story, but just kind no. of your approach to that. 100%. Um, so there's a truth about the Batman line, like the Batman corner of, 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 of the DC universe. And that is fucking filled. It's absolutely filled with bat people. They all have virtually the same power sets. Uh, they are constantly getting in each other's way. And the truth of the matter is we all kind of know at this point that many of the people they're fighting should probably be getting psychiatric help. <laughs> yeah. Like violence isn't necessarily the best way to stop crime. Mm -hmm. uh, it's comics, right? So violence is always the best way to sp stop crime, obviously, <laughs> right? But in reality, there is a bit of a simmering kind of disconnect between that and how the world actually should work. Um, so we saw when we talked to Ben, he was like, wow, we're really looking for a, this all started because he was like, we don't really know. We'd like to do something with Kate Kane and we'd like to do something with Luke Fox. We're not quite sure what it is. Neither of these characters can really carry their own books. Mm -hmm. Maybe if they combined, we could do something. I don't know. That was the conversation we had with Ben as we were drinking uh, delicious pilsners down at San Diego <laughs> Comic-Con. Uh, and we came back with this, which is a way to refocus these two characters away from what everyone else in the bat line is doing and starting addressing the problems of the world, not with punchy kicky, uh, but with emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and uh, wide open eyes, understanding rather than exploding. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was kind of the litmus test for how we can approach this uh, kind of heart and mind open bat people uh rather than people who are hunting criminals and i think as soon as you start repositioning your perspective like is this is this a crime or is this a tragedy mm -hmm. um things really start sh changing and especially when you have someone like kate kane who has is a veteran right very much mm -hmm. has been trained in black and white thinking very much been trained in um the necessity of going kinetic um, is something that she very much understands where Luke is much more um, kind of in those gray spaces and asking what it means to be a man of privilege, a man of wealth, a man of intelligence in this modern world. So these two really, we found this great tension between the two of them as they both ideally can use each other to find the truth of how really they should be approaching the idea of being a superhero, of being a Batman, in the modern context of of uh, the dcu mm -hmm. wow i really love that and i mean that's very kind of personal to me as well because i'm i'm a very kind of i don't know what word you would put it but leftist or whatever but like i don't know i love those memes of like oh uh uh like guy went over his hours or whatever on his shift and like batman's coming down on him just like beat the shit oh, out of him yeah. for something very benign and it's like i don't know i just really like that approach to it and like you said like sometimes criminals or people that do things maybe against the law are aren't necessarily bad people like like yeah. you said there's ways beside and like you said mainly batman villains they need they need a therapist they like they need a really good therapist as opposed to like you said maybe just getting the shit beat out of them so i think that's a very refreshing and interesting approach and i think that's going to be so awesome that, that being said like i do want people to 
we got some advice. This is great. This is a, a, advice Colin and Jackson have gotten from incredibly talented friends. <laughs> um, we got some advice from James Tynan uh, once. We were talking about, because like Jack and I love sad boy stories, mm-hmm. right? And James at the time was like, guys, you got to remember superhero comic books are professional wrestling, right? People are, oh, okay. showing the, people are showing up for the story, but they still want muscle guys in bitching suits making big smash-ups, mm-hmm. right? And by which he means they you need part and parcel of the buy, of the social contract between you give me $4, I give you funny book, mm-hmm. is somewhere in there, your, your jaw is going to drop from the spectacle, right? A lot of times people equate spectacle with violence. So they're like, oh, this needs to be a punchy kicky. I fucking love punchy kicky, mm-hmm. right? Remember, it comes back to like, I lo- I'm the explosions guy. Like, yeah. Explosions, nothing but explosions. And I'm a happy camper. Mm-hmm. But man cannot eat on explosions alone. Uh, so while we are not, this book is in no way about violence. It is yes way about spectacle. Mm. Um, this, we are going for some of the biggest stuff we possibly can. Um uh robert carey is this irish artist uh very few folks have heard of him he's kind of air quotes brand new on the scene Mm -hmm. but it's we're going to introduce him to the world and he fucking rips he's so goddamn good let's Uh, go cap do you know him i don't know (laughs) he's in the he's in the stephen thompson camp um kind of yeah but like it turns out ireland just are irish i assume yeah that's why i was just being cheeky and asking him like yeah he's irish do you know him cap yeah we know everyone yeah jackson jackson actually just spent four days in galway and he didn't even call me what a what an ass yeah what a jerk <laughs> i'm gonna have to have words with him <laughs> but um, yeah we're super excited for outsiders that is gonna be awesome and like i said i've been really loved i uh, read neo year recently i loved that i'm really loving neo gothic unfortunately i missed the first issue so i gotta go back but like i said that killer croc in issue two was just mwah, money it was so I, beautiful neo gothic neo gothic is such a uh, how to put it i love batman beyond like mm. terry mcginnis is one of my boys um i introduced jack to terry and jack fell in love with terry but like mm-hmm. i love terry i think the batman beyond is fucking sweet i also am a big fan of this plus this right like give Mash-ups. me two mash them up baby mm-hmm. yum 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 <laughs> and most people are like oh yes yeah, like peanut butter and peanut butter and chocolate i'm like that's fine but like what about peanut butter and cayenne Ooh. <laughs> like, like let's get fucking spicy yeah so batman beyond neo-gothic was definitely i said some stupid shit up front that everyone kind of got on board with uh so it is far weirder than i think anyone is particularly ready for and i i hope that people are ready to get weird with their batman beyond because it is a people who are showing up are probably a little bit keyed into the nostalgia factor Mm-hmm. Right? so it's like here's something you didn't know you wanted hopefully yeah. they will get on board with it and want it ideally also though we got killer croc we got they're going down there's the next mm-hmm. issue 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 three return to the court of owls right like we have got all this stuff ideally hopefully that if you are a batman fan you're going to find it in neo-gothic the stuff that's going to tie you forward mm-hmm. even as you might be wandering into something that's like 
this is not very cyberpunk and i definitely expect cyberpunk out of my batman beyond like mm-hmm. it is not this is a gothic horror book let's get weird baby let's, let's do it weird. i'm ready and for it we are jack and i i mean you've been reading our work we have a penchant for like one-off psychedelic issues mm-hmm. we, Ooh, let's we go we think there's value in mind-altering psychedelics mm-hmm. i love that and i love the way you put that i i we're bringing him up again but i want to say it was donny cates who i saw say this i'm sure plenty of people have said this before but you kind of just mentioned that and i really love that outlook of your job or like a writer's job it's not to give us what we want it's to give us what we didn't know that we wanted. and i think that that's just really hits it on the head and i love that approach because like like you're saying i'm pretty sure this is how you guys all feel is like there's no sense in rehashing things that we've already seen like we've seen you know uh batman punching the joker millions of times but like you said with the whole uh, peanut butter cayenne kind of metaphor i want to see the stuff i didn't know that i wanted like oh shit Batman Beyond's fighting a monster killer croc. I would have never thought of that, but I love this. And I just, I think that's very refreshing and a great approach to storytelling that I really love. I I, I really appreciate that, man. Like Mm -hmm. it is, it's so exhausting sometimes because like, (laughs) I love the hits, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, I want my peanut butter cayenne, but also I'm going to be a slut for peanut butter chocolate, right? Like (laughs) sometimes I wish when we sat down, I could be like, and in this issue, Batman fights the joker and they yeah. punch each other and then he says ah, ha, ha, batman and <laughs> the joke's on you damn <laughs> and fans will love it they'll be like fuck yeah batman yeah. Fucking eat that batman. shit up and they love that shit and then oftentimes jack's like yeah but we've read that a thousand times and i'm like i know that's why it's called a hit yeah <laughs> like yeah but what if we invert it this time and inevitably it's like yeah fuck okay cool mm-hmm. and it comes back to what you said earlier about one thing you like about us is like tuning it towards the kind of humanist um perspective often means we can't tell the same story that you've already read mm-hmm. which sucks because sometimes i want an easy win right? yeah a hundred percent a fat middle pitch we can just fucking we can just get this right up we can get the solid double and mm-hmm. jack's like yeah but what if we fucking bunt yeah but what if we fuck man okay yeah, yeah. We'll get a run, and if we bunt, okay, let's fucking well, go. And see, that's why you guys are the hive mind. That's why yeah. you guys are a partnership. But, but I know we're kind of uh, running short on time here, but before we get out of here, I do want to talk about Star Trek a little bit. So I know that me and Cap um, admittedly are not big Trek guys. We don't know much, but I know that that is a special love for both you and Jackson. That's one of your guys' first kind of big uh, nostalgia kind of things. And actually, uh, kind of a mutual friend of ours, uh, I got a kind of question or something to bring up from uh, Andy over at Brave New World Comics. I was talking over with him. Hey, Andy. How you doing, man? Yeah, Andy. Shout out. He's awesome. Love the shop. But he told me that he was like, oh, you're going to have Jackson Collin on. You got to ask them about their Star Trek board game that they made. So I got to ask, like I said, I know that Star Trek is a deep love for you guys. So can you just kind of talk about your guys's love of star trek and like i said i gotta mention the the board game that you guys made about star trek i'm looking to see if and i have if i have any convenient props um <laughs> yeah uh, but i don't on me unfortunately <laughs> yeah um dude i mean so star trek is the most important piece of social commentary storytelling of the last century mm-hmm. i think hands down um it is the 
it is the dream of utopia and multiculturalism. Uh, it is the best possible future for so many of us in so many ways, while still being having a lot of fucking toxic problems in it. Um, I think as a storytelling device, there is nothing that there is nothing that you can't take. There is no story that you cannot tell in Star Trek. And unlike Star Wars or superhero comics, mm -hmm. it is not professional wrestling. It is secession. It is people. It is a black box. The polar opposite of everything that Colin came to the table with. Right. It is all people in rooms having authentic, intelligent conversations, which is how all problems should be solved. Mm -hmm. Right. If you need to pull a gun, you've done something wrong. And that is Star Trek's ideology to the core. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, sometimes danger can't you can't escape danger. Right. And sometimes Batman needs to jump out of the shadows to punch you in the face so that you don't over you don't work over your hours. <laughs> Overtime is a scam that co that capitalism is perpetuating on you. You don't owe them anything, says Damn Batman. Straight. Or fucking mm -hmm. junkie guard, right? <laughs> like at the end of your shift, you will take your downtime. <laughs> um, but yes, so we we love Star Trek for the longest time. I also mentioned mm -hmm. that we love tabletop RPGs, uh, mm -hmm. big D fans big we, we play it all um uh we've done we've both been on live plays uh on twitch and streamed and we're big in that scene i just did the big dnd &D. there was a big dnd &D wga uh strike out in hollywood yesterday mm -hmm. um that i was out uh with the team i've become distracted. Yeah. uh yeah it was fucking cool uh, critical role critical role was there dimension 20 was there dungeons and daddies i don't know if these mean anything to you but no i mean i i'm not in the D, D world but i'm aware of it i played okay. a couple times i'll say i want to invite to the next meeting <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've got off off track uh the point of the game was we love star trek so much we love tabletop role-playing we needed to create some way for us to express this love uh mm -hmm. in the two spaces so jack hacked together his own game system out of uh, White Wolf, which is, if you know Vampire the Masquerade mm -hmm. uh, or other kind of things, it's like a system. He hacked that in, created a Star Trek combat system. And what started as a group of like five of us kind of playing as Star Trek, my wife is just off camera <laughs> because she was one of them. Uh, She's like, oh, she, I love that game. <laughs> we did. We all loved yeah. it. Unfortunately, we loved it so much that our ship of like five slowly grew until eventually the game had 30 players Wow! Uh, and oh, wow. ships all existing in a persistent universe so like one week this ship would do its move its play and it was all it was on a board game right we're we're, we're rolling dice we're mm -hmm. we're doing all this stuff we have the cart stellar tar tar stellar cartography maps out and are moving little spaceship models around the galaxy like it was an ongoing persistent universe um that went for almost four years uh, with all of those players effectively telling the story of Star Trek uh, post uh, post uh, Star Trek 2009, post mm -hmm. Ovis Supernova explosion. Um, so we basically got this chance with all of our friends who are all massive Trek fans, who are all incredibly intelligent people, to uh, storytell this space and to kind of like exist in Star Trek and stress test a lot of the concepts that we would then uh, end up deploying in Star Trek itself. So- wow. that's super cool. It was fucking incredible. 
Like, so what ended the game? Did it just, you know, life got in the uh, way? Or... The, game, the game never ends. <laughs> uh, the, the game is on hiatus. Uh, mm. I, we, I made the mistake of making Jack... Re- Jack made the mistake of being too damn good at his jobs. Uh, and I guess I had a little part in that too. And I kind of <laughs> screwed us. Because now we have too much work. Uh, and we can't spend as much time playing tabletop RPGs with 30 people. Yeah. Well, I'll let Andy know that the game's yeah. coming back. So, but that's so awesome to hear. And like we I said, I know... Some- I have a I have a secret. Uh, I don't think any of our players, uh, the odds of our other players listening to this podcast are slim. So I'll go <laughs> ahead and let you guys know that uh, I have a secret character I've been building uh, for many years now, uh, which is the entire Borg Unimatrix. You guys don't know anything about Star Trek. I please tell me though, please. Oh no, my god. Please. I want to know, please. <laughs> I, am, I am playing as a gestalt cyborg uh, Borg Unimatrix mind from uh, the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, so it's like I've been playing this secret game with Jack where he has a, a sec- effectively a spreadsheet, a map of every planet in the Gamma Quadrant, which is uncharted. So Jack made up an entire quadrant of space just for me with all these aliens and planets and technologies. And slowly over the years, I've been like moving my little board collective and, you know, assimil- resistance is futile. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be assimilated. Your biological and technological consistent, you know, individuality will be added to our own. And I've just been slowly <laughs> assimilating all of these other planets so that eventually, you know, in Star Trek, the game year nine, mm-hmm. I will be the big bad. Ooh, let's go. You're we, you just got a text from Donnie Cates like you son of a bitch. <laughs> he's listening to this. He's like, I'm God be damn the Star it. Trek big bad. Yeah, he's like, you've been playing me this whole time. <laughs> but that's uh, but no, there you go. Now you're the only now you know you guys alone, the ones who don't really care that much. Oh, uh, I care. I care. The deepest secret of the Star yeah, it's Trek. It's just all words to me. Yeah, I was saying that's I might. I might not know exactly everything that's going on, but don't get me wrong. I do care. And like I said, you guys have earned my trust. If your guys' names are on it, I'm buying it. So I fully intend on doing my Star Trek homework. I was watching some YouTube videos last night in preparation, so I wasn't completely lost with the Trek knowledge. But like I said, since we aren't the biggest Trek guys, we actually have a couple friends that are into Star Trek. And I got a couple of questions. Yeah, I got a couple questions from them to kind of shoot at. Let's go. So uh, from our co-host Gorgon that unfortunately could not be here today because he's off saving the world. He wanted to ask, I'm sorry. With his katanas. Yep, exactly. But uh, he wanted to ask you, uh, so when writing Star Trek, was there a certain era that inspired you the most? And is there a civilization or race from Star Trek lore that you have yet to write that you hope to in the future? Love these questions. Um, yeah, uh, final season of DS9. I think the final season of DS9 is some of the best storytelling, some of the best science fiction ever put to screen. Um, every science fiction storyteller, every storyteller who wants to work in serialized narrative should take lessons from that season of television. It's fucking best. Mm. Um, as for aliens it's basically the first time star trek did like a nine part series right mm-hmm. it's just the last season of ds9 is effectively a mini series it's all run by ron d moore who did battlestar galactica so okay proto battlestar galactica mm-hmm. it fucking rips it's just the war let's go um, alien species that i would like to use that we haven't used was that the question yeah we uh civilization almost- or race 
civilization or race. I am going. Uh, mm, this is a stupid answer. Uh, there's a race from Voyager called the. No, ooh. I can't. I can't answer that. Okay. Um, we have three more arcs of Star Trek, and two of those arcs are going to feature a fucking panoply of the dopest shit. Basically, that was the game we got to play, was we asked ourselves, we have like three more arcs here. What are the coolest civilizations and aliens that we have not got yet gotten to play with that we will want to play with? Fucking put them in the movie, right? Oh, yeah. So every answer that I could give is actually something that we are going to see. Okay, first cut the check, baby. Right. Let's go. Yeah, it's fucking. <laughs> awesome, I guarantee you. Hell yeah! Okay, that will make Gorgon super like happy. Kid, so like, and I love Star Trek Voyager. Ooh, okay, uh, clues uh, out there. Yeah, exactly. For yeah. fans who are listening, like, mm -hmm. for our Trekkie guys out there, y'all know what that will mean. But we have one more question for you, and that's from our friend Pendar, good friend of ours. His question is going to be. What's the hardest thing about writing in an established universe with continuity and rules? Are there ways in which it's easier than writing from scratch? Great question. Classic question. Um, I, good things and bad things. Um, I love working with unlicensed work. Um, I think having a pedigree, having a knowing the box you can play in, right? This is Star Trek. This isn't Star Trek. This is Batman. This isn't Batman, right? Mm -hmm. All of this is licensed work. Um, so having a box to play in, having a character voice you can understand, right? And that way it's a lot easier because you're not inventing someone new out of your mind. You're like, I know what, I know what Steve Rogers sounds like. Mm -hmm. I know what Bruce Wayne sounds like, right? I'm just executing this character who already exists. And in that way, it's a lot easier. On the flip side, Sometimes it's a real bear because you're like, there's 30 years of this character. Like, guys, telling a new Batman story is really fucking hard, right? I couldn't like, even imagine, <laughs> literally. There are a lot of fucking Batman stories out yeah. there. It's like, especially like Star Trek too. It's like, there's a lot of Star Trek stories out there. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to keep long-term licensed work fresh is a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but I really, I think we always prefer a challenge uh, so we, I think, you know, I think you might agree. We do pretty fucking good with it. License work. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's nothing, I mean, not to toot our own horns, but there, there Toot's is away, a, nothing more fun and freeing than hitting the road with your own creative work and seeing it soar, mm -hmm. right? Like it can be a lot scarier and less certain to write original stuff. Uh, and then when, but when it hits, it's so much more validating, validating, mm -hmm. uh, we've been doing a lot of licensed work over the past few years as we've been kind of getting a name for ourselves. We got some advice from Cy Spurrier early on. Um, and it was effectively don't rush your creator owned, mm -hmm. make your name first, right? When you make your creator owned, no one is going to like, unless they, they're not going to show up for this new title. They don't know they'll show up for you. Mm -hmm. So spend your time building a reputation before you go and do this. Great advice, Sai. Sai's fucking incredible. Um, so we've been doing that for the past couple of years, um, but we're getting ready to enter into our creator-owned era. Mm. Uh, we've got some shit on deck that should be hitting 2024, 20, 25, right? Like mm -hmm. 
and that shit is like those are our those are our true children um like we're gonna love them more than anything else we'll always love steve benjamin cisco oh my god yes but like wait until you meet these new characters of ours um these new worlds we're gonna introduce uh and then you'll really see the like the 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 parental glow as Mm -hmm. we introduce you to our new favorite children Oh, and I can't wait. And I mean, I think you have said it per you said it perfectly and you have executed it perfectly because like I said, I know that I am a person who you guys have earned my full loyalty. If I see your guys' name on the book, I'm gonna read it. I just read your guys' free comic book day, the Star Trek issue. I know nothing about Star Trek, but I read it because it's you guys and I knew it was gonna be great. So like I said, I think you guys, if that was your plan you guys executed it perfectly because I know that's how I am. And I know a lot of people out there are exactly the same way. If they see hive mind on a book, it's guaranteed to be pretty damn good for sure. Hey, yeah. Uh, before, I, before we lose you, I do want to put one other thing on your radar. Oh, please do. Oh. I'm just like telling everybody about this. Thorquest. Yes, that is. I wanted to talk about Thorquest. I've been looking hell and high water for a copy and I cannot, I got to order it offline. But I've been to Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, comic okay, well, shop. Thank you, very much. you might have to order it online then. I'm yeah. gonna assume that means they're sold out. I, um, I was saying I think that's a good sign. But yeah, I'm time, super, super excited to read that and get it. I know it's like a children's book, but you know, yeah, it's um, Thor, for you man. Guys, for uh nieces or nephews you might have, mm-hmm. or like anyone in your life, if you're out there, if you have a middle grade reader, uh Thor Quest, Hammers of the Gods. It is the adolescent event, the first adolescent adventure of Thor, Fandral, Sif, and Loki uh, mm-hmm. as they go off to rescue uh, a lost artifact for Odin. Uh, it's got art by Billy Young. It's uh, kind of a mixed medium chapter book story. Uh, great for younger readers, great for older readers, uh, great for anyone in your life who wants some fun. So that's my like little, I just did a little commercial. Yeah, um, please. Like, you know, we all love comics, right? But mm-hmm. we got to cook them young. We got to hook kids young with this stuff. This is the kind of shit that's going to be in libraries, mm-hmm. right? What's in the power fucking libraries. We want this on a shelf. Some kid be read this and go, wow, I not only want to go read more Thor comics, like mm-hmm. I want to go read Lord of the Rings, right? Like gateway yeah. drugs, baby. There's nothing yes. like a good book to hook someone into their best future. I love it. Absolutely. And like you said, it's just... We're all big proponents of, you know, getting people hooked on comics and reading in general. And as someone like we talked about who your kind of love of comics came from your scholastic book fair and your local library. It's so awesome to see that kind of come full circle with Thor quest. And like I said, as the Thor guy, you know, I'm trying to track, track it I down. Know you're in it. Bud. My, uh, my best friend actually growing up, he actually just had a baby maybe a couple, a month ago, just turned one month old. So I wanted to get it so I can read it and then I'm going to send it off to him so he can read it to Miles when he gets old enough. But yeah, I love it. But honestly, that's a perfect segue into, you know, we're coming to the end of the interview now. I want to hand it off to you, my friend. This is your time. Plug away. Where can the people find you? Like you said, we could spend it a whole another hour with you just listing off the books you got going on. But the main ones that you got coming out, like I said, tell the people where they can find you. What do we got coming? Yeah. All right. Let's see if I can do this correctly. Um, so, yeah, everyone, thank you so much for coming to this interview. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Colin Kelly. You can find me at uh, CP Kelly. Nope. Yeah. God, you can find me on X 
Kelly. <laughs> you can find me on Blue Sky at the Colin Kelly. Um, I don't fucking know what social media is anymore, guys. I'm really lost. I'm so confused. <laughs> like I don't. I know. I'm not. I'm not an old man. But I <laughs> watched this thing evolve. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Um, if folks want to pick up our books, uh, Day of Blood, Star Trek Day of Blood, the first ever Star Trek crossover event is happening right now. Uh, Star Trek and its sister book, Star Trek Defiant, have crossed over to uh, stop uh the klingon empire from its own uh bloody revolution uh day of blood volume or uh issue uh chapter three just came out in star trek 11 pick that up from your local shop uh star uh neo-gothic uh batman beyond neo-gothic that's on the shelves go check it out uh 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 guardians of the galaxy which we also write <laughs> um love is, guardians it's hitting its midpoint right now. So the first act has been all about tragedy and breaking. Just we talked about aftercare, right? The mm. second act is all about putting things back together. Uh, so it's now it's the perfect time to jump on with that. Oh, beep, bop, boop. go to your local shop. Tell them that you want Outsiders. You do not know what Outsiders is. You have no clue, but you are excited about it because you hear it's going <laughs> to kick ass. Uh, and it is. I guarantee you it is going to fucking kick ass. We are doing everything possible to make sure that is a fact. Um, and uh, Thunderbolts. Also, tell your shop that you want Thunderbolts. You want uh, you want fast and you want too fast. You want the too fast, too furious of Marvel Comics events. Uh, there you go. There's Thunderbolts for you. Oh uh, yeah. And that's that's me, folks. I hope everyone uh, enjoys their comics, supports their local libraries, make sure their pets are spayed and neutered. <laughs> Well, Colin, thank you so, so much, my friend, for coming and nerding out with us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. If it were if it were up to us, we could keep you here all day, and we'll talk about all sorts got, of nerdy stuff. You got to let me but go. I got comics I know. for Unfortunately, comics exactly. We got to let you go so you can keep coming out with amazing issues. But as far as this interview, though, I think that's going to be all we have for you guys. Again, thank you for your time today, Colin. Hopefully, we can reconvene in a later date and kind of get into Thunderbolts and uh, what is it, Timeless and all that other stuff that you guys got coming up. So, you know, and shit we have not even announced yet. Yeah, I would say there's so much. Everyone out there, follow the hive mind if you're not already. These guys can do no wrong. They're absolutely on fire. And we are just blessed and honored to have been had any time with them at all. Again, thank you so much for being here. But that's going to be all for us today, folks. Thank you so much for listening, watching. We hope you enjoyed this video. Leave a like, subscribe if you did. And may your stacks be fat, stay hydrated, and we will see you all next time. I'm going to do this all day.